I know I've said this to you before, but uh, it's a great honor <laughs> and privilege to meet in this redeemed garage to worship Christ Jesus with you. I, I, I often envision the Lord smiling down upon us, you know, in this, this humble little place and this humble group of people and, and uh, singing praises to Him. I, I, it's a great privilege, uh, really, and uh, I thank you. Uh, Again, for allowing Karen and I to, to share this with this with you. Um, part of my introduction tonight. It's a little different. It's a song. It's a very beautiful song. It's a song that has meant a lot to Karen and I in our past. It, it's part of the fabric of Karen and I actually, you know, leaving our families and leaving our jobs and leaving our home and and just releasing our lives into God's hands and. And so I wanted to share this song with you. I think it, it maybe sets up the, uh, the, the sermon the way I want to approach it anyway. So uh, enjoy the song. Please listen, listen carefully to the lyrics.
Karen, do you remember that song? I don't know if I can preach, actually, after listening to it. Uh, I love this song, and I love that line. Could it be that He is only waiting there to see if I will learn to love the dreams that He has dreamed for me? Um, I can speak from personal experience. My dreams uh, for the first half of my life were way, way, way too small. Um, God's dreams are much better. And they are never small. They are way bigger. And the way I like to say it, and I think it's misunderstood sometimes, God's dreams are much more fun. When you, when you do release your life into God's hands totally and completely, and you really discover who He designed you to be, and you're walking with Him in that intimacy, and you are who, who you are, and you feel who you are in Christ, it's, well, it's just the best feeling in the world. Um, to walk in God's dreams. So, that's kind of how... It's, made me, it made, it's what it made me think of as I, as I read Peter's words here. Because Peter... Peter went with God. Right? He went with God. And um, I, think, I think this is what Christians discover. They discover how rich it is to, to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus when we do give ourselves away to Him. And we really start, as the song says, we really start to listen to Him. You know, we're not, we're not merely listening to the messages of the world and the messages of those people around us, our colleagues, even friends, even family. We're listening principally to God. And uh, we're listening to what He's saying to us. You know, many who call themselves Christians have dreams who are very much... Like unbelievers, uh, they would differ very, very little, in fact. Uh, whether you have the American dream or the Italian dream or the Nigerian dream or the Malaysian dream, fill in your blank. Um, you know, good health, good family, good wife, good kids, good house, good job, um, nice car, <laughs> nice portfolio. Um, you know, maybe enough money to, to uh, retire well, maybe even have the freedom to go and make a real difference in the world as maybe even the world would define it. It would be the proverbial good life. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things in the particular. But we know as Christians, if that's what we're about, if that's all that we're about, we've made a huge mistake. There was something that's not on that list. What was not on that list that I just enumerated? Jesus Christ was not on the list. And if He's not on your list, <laughs> um, yeah, you've made a huge mistake. The highest, best, most, most breathtaking dream a human being can have is to know His Creator. Is to know His Savior. And then to freely give Himself away to that great Creator, God, and Savior. Just, just give yourself away. That's, that's the call of Christianity. I mean, you can't read the Old or New Testament and not understand this is the call of, 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 of following God, of following Jesus. American Christian author Larry Crabb says it like this, 
Uh, it's one of the books we have in the bookshelf. It's one of my favorite. It's called Shattered Dreams. If you've ever had a shattered dream, you should read this book. Um, he has a lot to say. But one of his quotes is this, God will lovingly shatter our lesser dreams in order to give us Himself. Amen? Amen? Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want God above all things? Whatever it costs? You know, whatever lesser dreams I have to let go of? What you find out, as many of you already know, you know, the lesser dreams, sometimes they, they just drop in priority, but God actually redeems those dreams and they become richer than we could have ever imagined. Um, but isn't that what you want? Tell me, Christian, isn't that what you want? Above all things, be honest with yourself. Above everything else, I want to be in a radical love relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to learn how to give myself away to Him wholly and completely. I would think that would be the confession of every true Christian. This is what God calls us to. <laughs> he calls us to Himself and He gives Himself away to us. It's what Jesus did in Peter's life. And this, this is why I, as I read this text, and I, I, I couldn't get off Peter. I was thinking about Peter. It's what happened to Peter. Peter was living the Galilean dream, right? Nice Wife, nice kids, nice house, nice business. A respected member in Capernaum. He had it all. He was, he was on that glide path, right? To, uh, to a great life in first century Galilee. There's nothing again inherently wrong with any of those things, but Jesus had a bigger dream for Peter, Right? He had a bigger dream for Peter. Jesus looked into his eyes. You remember what he said. Jesus looked into his eyes and he said, Watch out. He said, Remember what he said? He said, Follow me. Peter was fishing. He was out there with his nets and boats. And Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Now, being a nice, good Christian fisherman is a good thing. It's an honorable profession. Nothing wrong with that. Many good Christian fishermen. But Jesus said, Peter, I've got something infinitely more important for you to do. And beloved, this is what, I, I guess the thing I want to say to you is, be hearing God. And don't stop hearing God. I didn't go to seminary until I was 42. Okay? So don't think, just because you're 42, that God may not change your course, because He may. Don't ever get so locked into something that you, you never let God speak into it. You know, it's like out of bounds to God. I won't let God speak into my career. I won't let God speak into my marriage. I won't let God speak into my relationships. I won't let God speak into how I uh, interact with my church. I won't let God speak into it. Love it. Don't ever be like that. Listen. Get up every morning and listen. Listen for the Word of God. Listen to what God is saying to you. This is what happened in Peter's life. <laughs> Peter said, you know, Peter ended up living a life he could have never imagined for himself. And I have to confess to you, I am living a life. Karen and I were talking about it. Yesterday we were driving up to see Brian and Mary. And, and we were talking about we live a life we could have never imagined for ourselves. And it's just pure joy because God's in the middle of it. 
By grace, he's in the middle of it. Larry Crabb goes on to say, our shattered dreams are... And I want you to hear this sentence. Our shattered dreams are never random. Do you have a shattered dream? It's not random. Listen to this. They are always a chapter in a larger story. Amen? Shattered dreams are not accidents of fate. They are ordained opportunities for the Spirit first to awaken and then to satisfy the highest and best dream. Now it's my words, which of course is Jesus Christ. Which of course is Jesus Christ. Peter had a good dream. It was a good dream. A good man-sized dream. God says, I've got a God-sized dream for you. (laughs) I love it when He does that. You know, if you read your Bible, you realize he's doing it all the time with people. He just, bam, shows up. He says, I've got another dream for you. I've got other plans for you. Will you go with me? You know, it's your choice. <laughs> it's your choice. Will you go with God? Will you go with God? And understand, I know you know this, I don't have to say this, but I'll say it anyway. We're, not, we're certainly not all called to leave our jobs and enter vocational ministry, but every true Christian is called to unconditionally go with Jesus. Whatever that looks like in your life. It's going to look different in every life. Unconditionally follow Jesus Christ and obey Jesus Christ. It will be following God into His dream for us. And as every Christian who has ever lived has discovered, they are so much better than our dreams. The dreams that we have adopted from the world with the world's temporal view, the world's fallen view, the world's carnal view. Many times we just, you know, because everybody else, the herd lives this way, the other lemmings are living like this. So I guess I should live like this. No! God says, follow me! Radically! Beloved, <laughs> it's just fun. So Peter, let's think about Peter for a minute. He, was a, he became a, a fisher of men who walked the earth with God Himself. He became a man through whom God preached and saved countless souls. became a man through whom God did miracles and He wrote Scripture. A man who died as a martyr for the sake of Jesus Christ. He, became, he was a man whose name still lives on 2,000 years after his death. Yeah, that's a big dream. A man whom God used to turn the world upside down. So let me ask you, do you think Peter was ever sorry he left his nets and his boats? And his comfortable, common sense life? Do you think he was ever sorry that he did that? Do you think any Christian, any true born-again believer is ever sorry that they, they, they turn their back on what the world says is important and they, they just, they, with glad, reckless joy, go with Jesus? you think they're ever sorry? Are you sorry? Do you think you'll be sorry? Maybe some of you are on that path now. Maybe some of you are contemplating a new path. Listen, you'll never be sorry if you go with Christ. You'll never be sorry. In fact, you'll be praising God all the way home until you see Him. You'll be praising God all the way home. 
And of course, God's dream for you and me, it doesn't look like God's dream for Peter. There'll never be another Peter. There's not supposed to be another Peter. I'm not called to be Peter. I'm called to be Jim. Right? I'm called to live the dream that God has dreamed for me. Rachel's called to live the dream that God has dreamed for her. Tez is called to live the dream that God has dreamed for him. Listen, beloved, find it. Find it. It doesn't mean it won't change. You know, God's always moving. Find it. Stay on Him. Stay on His heels. Listen to what He says. If He changes course, go change course. You know that, okay, you know, God's, you know that our God is God, right? How many of you know that? You all know that? Then why would you ever be afraid to wholly follow Him? Why? There's no reason. There's no, let me say it this way, there's no good reason for you not to radically go with Jesus and serve Him and love Him and worship Him. So Peter lived God's dream for him, which is just another way to say that Peter lived God's purpose, God's plan, and God's will for his life. We see it tonight in our text. Forty years after listening to God's voice as Twyla Paris sang, and leaving the boats and the nets, Peter is still living the dream. He's still preaching the Gospel. And he's still willing to die doing it. And he starts to talk about his death tonight in our text. And I think that's what got me started on this whole deal about our lives and how we live them with God. Verses 12 and 13 of 1 Peter, pardon me, 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. You know, C.S. Lewis said, people don't need to be reminded. Uh, Let me start over. I'll get it right. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. I love that. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. That's my job. You come in. I remind you what God has said to you. That's my job. I remind you. 90% of every sermon, you know it. You've heard it before. Sometimes, obviously, the preacher brings new information. That's a good thing. Hey, but if it's new information and it's not in here, you need to fire me because it's wrong. If it's new, it's wrong. Or if it's not in here, it's wrong. But my job is to remind you that your God is God and He saved you and He expects you to live like it. That's what preachers do. You know, every preacher gets these two verses. uh, Verses 12 and 13. it's, It's the refrain from the Old Testament prophets. You remember the refrain. Almost every book... The, the, the prophets called the Jews to remember. Remember! Do not forget the Lord your God and the covenant you have made with Him. Remember! That's what, Christian, that's what preachers do. Remember, Christian. Remember who you profess to be. Remember that you're a vapor upon the earth. Remember that God's left you here to be His witness. Remember, Christian. Remember. You know, that's... That's ministry, really. That's ministry. 
I love Isaiah 17.10. It underscores the sad truth of much of what's true about Old Testament Israel. Isaiah says, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. But Peter says, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. Peter says, Yeah, I know I'm, about to, I know I'm going to die soon. But he says, Man... I'm going to stir you up. I'm still stirred up. Peter never got unstirred. He, <laughs> from the time he met Jesus, he was stirred, right? And of course, this is the, the reality of all born again Christians. Peter says, No retirement for me as long as I take a breath. I will preach the gospel. I will live this God-sized dream that God has given me. I, I couldn't help as I was thinking about these things. I know that Peter has read Philippians. Philippians was, Philippians was written by, by the Apostle Paul five years earlier. I know, I know Peter has written, pardon me, Peter has read uh, Philippians. Philippians 1.21, that text that I go to all the time. I love that text. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Peter knows this. <laughs> he knows this. He knows it. And it's his greatest joy. And I pray, beloved, that... As Piper says, that is a tsunami verse. You are either scared to death of that verse or you love that verse. So I hope that uh, for you, I hope that you do indeed love the challenge of that verse. And Peter's like every good teacher. He's going to engage in repetition. You know, if you, just, if you read your Bible, particularly the Gospels, the Holy Spirit is into making sure you understand who Jesus is. There's a lot of repetition in, in, the, in the four Gospels. There's a lot of repetition. Every good teacher knows this. Right, Chris? Josh? Every good teacher knows this. Repeat, 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 repeat. So that's my job. Remind you, exhort you. Remind you, exhort you. You know, anybody can be a preacher. It's really simple. Remind you, exhort you. That's all I, you know, I have it written in my office. Remind them, exhort them. That's my job description. It's not, it's, not very, it's not very hard. I know you know this. I've said it to you before. But I love to remind you. Um, I'm not here to entertain you, right? <laughs> Some people say, oh, I don't like to go to church there. You know, it's not fun enough or something. You know, you hear this stuff. I'm not here to inform you in, in purely an academic sense. I'm not here to give you a warm, fuzzy, religious fix. I'm not here to be your life coach, and I'm not here to peddle politically correct cycle babble. You know, if, if you're interested in any of that stuff, you need to go somewhere else because that's not what we do in here. I'm here to remind you and exhort you. And if you come to ICM, you're going to be reminded what God says. And you're going to be exhorted to do what God says. We're really simple. We're very, very simple. That's who we are at ICM. Verse 14, Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ had made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. So, what's Peter talking about? He's already mentioned it in verse 13. He mentions it again in verse 14, this earthly dwelling. Well, 
You know, if you look at the Greek, the, the literal translation is the word tent. He's simply talking about his flesh. He's going to lay aside his flesh and his, his spirit and soul will go on to be with the Lord. This, this flesh, I think it's a very apt way and profitable, profitable way to look at our bodies. They're, just, they're disposable. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a temporary proposition. So you know you don't fall too much in love with your body, right? <laughs> you don't think that the world orbits around how, how you look or how I look. Peter says, Soon I will be putting away this body. Uh, my death is imminent as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. So when did the Lord Jesus talk to Peter about His death? Do you remember John 21? After Peter had professed his love for Jesus three times, and Jesus said these words to Peter, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Jesus was talking to Peter about His death and the manner of His death. If you know church tradition and history, you'll know that um, Peter apparently was forced to watch his wife be crucified. And then he was going to be crucified and he requested that he would not be crucified like Jesus, but he, and he was, he was crucified upside down. And Peter is saying in verse 15 that even after his departure or even after he's died, believers will be able to call these things to mind. How? Through his his uh, biblical letters of First and Second Peter, and two thousand years later, Peter is still stirring up the brethren. Amen. I was so stirred up in First Peter. I was changed in First Peter, and I suspect I'll be changed in Second Peter as well. But Peter's still stirring up the people of God. Verse sixteen: For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. I want to interject, and I know you know this if you thought about it very much, but Satan loves religion, right? <laughs> Satan loves religion. I mean, he made every one of them up, and it's his best con I sometimes think I can almost hear him laughing at all the stupid and ridiculous things that he can get men to believe. Uh, he's uh, pretty good at what he does. No doubt his greatest pleasure comes with the creation of pseudo-Christianity. He loves to take God's truth and he loves to twist it. He uses false teachers in the church to do this. Teacher who, teachers who butcher the text. Teachers who stand it on its head. And, you know, teachers who just make stuff up. They just make stuff up. I mean, uh, we'll talk more about it when we get into chapter 2, but they just make stuff up. It's not in the text. You can't find it in the text. You know, you simply can't find it. They just make stuff up. It's what Peter's talking about here in verse 16. Those who follow cleverly devised tales. People who just make stuff up. He will describe these men, expose these men, and condemn these men in chapter 2 as we get there in a few weeks. Did you notice what Peter said there in verse 16? Why should we believe Peter? What's, what's the reason there in six, verse 16? Why should we believe Peter? Because he says it? 
Why should we believe Him? What's the key word there? Why should we believe what He says? Why should we believe what He writes? Anyone? He's an eyewitness. Peter says, I saw this. Right? I saw this. That's what Peter's saying. It's what he's saying. I love uh, how Peter's fellow apostle, John, talks about this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John writes, This is what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld and our hands have handled concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. These men are eyewitnesses. They walked with Him. It's part of the definition of what an apostle is. They saw Him. They saw His resurrection. They knew Him. Peter and John are saying, I heard Jesus. I saw Jesus. I knew Jesus. They're saying, I heard the Sermon on the Mount. I heard Him preach in the temple. And I heard Him pray that awesome prayer in John 17. They're saying, I saw Him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I saw Him walk on the water. I saw Him quiet the storm with just a word. I saw Him raise Lazarus from the dead. I saw Him on the cross. I saw Him in the tomb. And I saw Him come out of the tomb. And I saw Him ascended. He is an eyewitness, beloved. Don't let anyone ever disparage the Gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, these are eyewitness accounts. People have not just made this stuff up. Now, I know the unbeliever is clueless about this and the unbeliever wants to make this charge or allegation. But our hope is built on eyewitness accounts. It's not myth. It's not fable. They're saying, we've handled Jesus we were His daily companions. We walked with Him. We ate with Him. We laughed with Him. Before and after His crucifixion. We did all of this with Jesus. One of the things John and Peter are saying to us, and of course the inference is, if anyone comes to you with a different account, what does Paul say? What does their fellow Apostle Paul say? If anyone comes to you with a different account than what is written in the Bible, what, is, what does the Apostle Paul say? Let that man what? Be accursed. The Holy Spirit has a policy of zero tolerance. When it comes to men twisting and turning and uh, reinterpreting and being fast and loose, loose with Scripture, if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. I listen to these false teachers sometimes and I go, man, man, calling down the curse of God on yourself by playing fast and loose with this to enrich yourself. Beloved, oh, I... I just I tremble for these men. Those who teach any those who teach any so-called truth not found in the Bible. Those who teach any truth in the Bible, uh, only the truths in the Bible that they they like or agree with, or those who claim to have new revelation in addition to the Bible. These are false teachers. I don't care how big their church is, and I don't care how cool their robes are. These are false teachers. These are false teachers. 
So back to 2 Peter, the text here. Yes, of course, Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' first coming, but if you, if you read the Greek here in verse 16, uh, <clears throat> you realize that what Peter's emphasis is here is the second coming of Jesus. This, this English word uh, translated as coming, the Greek word here, it's a technical term for the second coming of Jesus. It's never used in the Bible except in relation to the second coming of Jesus. So what Peter is really saying, he's coming back. He's coming back. That's really the focus here in verse 16. So Peter was an eyewitness to the power and majesty as he says here in verse 16 to the second coming of Jesus. Now how can that be true? How can that be true? Verses 17 and 18. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory. The majestic glory is just a, a beautiful name for God. This is My beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Do you remember when this happened? Do you remember the account? Over at Matthew 16, chapter 16, uh, over Matthew 16, 27, Jesus was talking about, about His future. He says, he says I'm come, I will come in glory, uh, the glory of His Father with angels to recompense every man according to His deeds. And then He said, verse 28 of Matthew 16, Truly I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. What's he talking about? You guys will know. You will be familiar with the text. I'm just going to turn back real quick and I'm going to read the first nine verses of Matthew 17. And six days later, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them and His face shone like the sun and His garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son whom I, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Verse 6, And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus Himself. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell this vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses to the glory of the second coming of Jesus now, why does Jesus take three men up to the top of the mountain? Of course, we know that Peter, James, and John, they are His inner circle, but why does He take three men? Any guess on that? Witnesses. How many, how many witnesses does it take in the Old Testament to, to uh, affirm a thing? How many does it take? Two or three. So Jesus makes sure there's no error here. He takes three men with Him, right? So why, why are Moses and Elijah there? Why are they there? It just, Jesus just thought it would be fun to have them along. I mean, why, why do you think they were there? Because He's the fulfillment of everything they wrote. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. 
And actually, if you read the Luke account here, this account is in three of the Gospels. If you read the Luke account, you see that Luke says they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. They're talking about His soon-to-come death in Jerusalem. That's what the three of them are talking about. It's like Moses saying, man, it's about to happen. Everything we, we talked about and wrote about, every, every piece of the temple that pointed to you, it's about to be fulfilled. So they were having this really cool conversation, right? And Peter says, is it good for us to be here? <laughs> uh, he was, can you imagine? I mean, the veil was dropped. And the blinding glory of Christ was seen. You know? The blinding glory, the Shekinah glory of God was seen. The veil was dropped and they saw Him. And they were in awe. They were in awe of Him. And then God says, this is My Son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> Listen to Him. Beautiful affirmations of the deity of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, man, we're not making this up. We saw this. We've already seen His coming glory. We've had a foretaste of it. We saw it on the Mount of transfiguration. We were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses. I'm going to turn real quick. i got a few minutes. I'm going to turn real quick. You guys know uh, Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back. Revelation 19. I'm going to start in verse 11. I'm just going to read it to you. And if you're not stirred up after this, I think something's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. You had too much to eat for lunch. I don't know what the problem is. This is the advent of King Jesus Revelation 19.11 And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it uh, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon uh, him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following Him on white horses. And from His mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it He might smite the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. And He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, are you stirred up yet? If you're not stirred up, you're not, you're not hearing it. You're not hearing who your God is and who your Savior is, beloved. Peter means for you to be stirred up. John, the writer of Revelation, means for you to be stirred up. I mean for you to be stirred up every time you come in here. I, I'm unapologetic about this. I want to stir you up to go deeper. To go deeper with the Lord. To be bolder out there. To be more of a servant in here. To do the things that God has clearly called us to do. So we've seen thus far in 2 Peter, Peter has reminded us that our God is a lavish, sovereign, faith-giving God. Peter has reminded us that our salvation enables us to, believe it or not, I still am in awe of this phrase, we are partakers of the divine nature. Peter has reminded us that our supernatural sanctification is bringing us into conformity with Jesus. 
And Peter has reminded us that our future hope is not built on lies and myths and fables, but on the eyewitness accounts of trustworthy men. Beloved, are you stirred up? If you think deeply about any of these things, you will be stirred up. Are you stirred up enough to really believe and trust and obey the Lord? Have you or will you pursue the God-sized plan God has for your life? Peter did. And I don't think he was ever sorry. Let me just say it this way. I know he was never sorry. You go talk to him when you get there. And I promise you, and I want you, you know, when you're really old, if I'm still around, you got, well, you know, yeah, I'll be gone a lot sooner. But you let me know if you're sorry. If you radically follow Jesus. If you radically obey Jesus. If you really have, if you really are and really have released your life into His hands. You let me know if you're sorry. Beloved, God's dreams are always way better than ours. Always. And my exhortation to you is to pursue God's dreams for you, to embrace them and to live them, and you will, this is my promise to you, you will never, ever be sorry. Could it be that He is only waiting there to see if you will learn to love the dreams that He has dreamed for you? I hope you're stirred. I hope you're stirred. I hope the Holy Spirit has stirred each one of us up to be who we are supposed to be in Christ and to live it out in that world in a very bold and fearless way. I pray, I pray that we are stirred. What a great God. What a great gospel. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we, we, as always, thank You for this breathtaking invitation that You give to us. You, you come to each one of us and You say, follow Me. I know it's been dumbed down in many places. I know, I know that Christianity has been dumbed down in many places. And it's, but Lord, when we read our Bibles, we realize it's anything but dumbed down. We realize it's the best offer we'll ever get for all eternity to go with You, to walk with You, to serve You, to honor You, to be Your witness, to be Your people in the world, to be Your remnant in the church. Lord, I'm in awe of this invitation. Help me, Father. Help me to be man enough to answer. Stir me up, Holy Spirit. Stir me up in my heart and in my soul and in my mind that I could never even conceive of not walking with Jesus with glad, reckless joy. Stir us up, great God, we pray. Make us a great people for Your great name. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.